audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4059 of the world's longest-running, only, and greatest audio newspaper for a visual world. We are recording on the 9th of February, 2018, so this is the Bugle for the week, beginning the 12th of February. I am here in London. Uh, with Alice Fraser. Hello, Alice. Hello, Andy. How are you? Uh, I'm uh, I'm very well, thank you. You've been in this hemisphere for a very long time. Too long. I'm starting to forget what the sun looks like. Right. It comes, goes up on it. it and comes, what joy feels like, right. and what good water is like, and how water goes the r- wrong way down a, the plug hole. Yep. That's I mean, or you comes out of that. a shower at any pressure it comes at out all. Upwards out of a shower, doesn't it? In the southern <laughs> hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. It just uh, comes out of the drain in and a the very. Sun... Dis- it's like a b day. All showers are b days in Australia. Is it right that in the southern hemisphere, <laughs> the sun, rather than rising over the horizon, just curves down from the bottom of the sky and then curves back up again? At it just sort of like... leaps out at you from behind things, Andy. Right. Okay, that's what we're worried about. Um, and joining us from New York City is a man who is not usually in New York City. It is Anuvab Pal. Hello, Andy. Hello. Hi. Um, Anuvab, uh, great to have you uh, on the show as always. Uh, I understand that the uh, current weather conditions in New York City are not the kind of weather conditions you are used to in uh, your home of India. I am not, Andy. I am from the tropics. And I think I've realised why the Americans like Fahrenheit. Um, they like right. Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> Because the moment they get into centigrade in the American winter, they're always in a minus number. Right. <laughs> and and I think that, that yeah. I think if, if Americans had to live through 20 days of minus 5 degrees, there's a psychological impact. So 17 degrees Fahrenheit still feels like a positive number. <laughs> I think you've got to the very heart of the American psyche there. Yeah, exactly. You know, they always look at the positive side of things. So they came up with that centigrade... Fahrenheit formula, just to give themselves a positive number. Bottom line is, it's you know it's a black sky, and uh, when my plan, plane landed in New York City, uh, the pilot couldn't see anything. He could have landed in Philadelphia. We were in the middle of a snowstorm. It could have been anywhere. It could have been Godfab. I'm probably in Godfab right now. I have no idea. Um, because... <laughs> because As you were talking about, this hemisphere, particularly this part of this hemisphere, North America, I think, as they call it, gets pretty cold this time of year, Andy. And uh, us from the tropics, we're not used to it. You know, Uh, I've I've never heard the term (laughs) Indians are a cold people. You know, we're known to be apparently warm people. uh, But literally, that is not true anymore. (laughs) I share your pain. Thank you, Alice. I've been doing a lot of reading on the Southern Hemisphere, um, just, uh, just you know, just to put my mind at ease, you know, <laughs> being in, in the cold. South Africa, Australia, uh, lo- lovely summer going on there, right? Yeah, pretty good, and I'm not there to enjoy it. <laughs> um, but you are returning to Australia just in time for it getting slightly colder. Yes, I am. I'm going to be in all of the festivals. I'll plug it at the end of the okay, show, Okay, good, good thinking, Alex. Um... So this, uh, we are recording on the 9th of February, meaning it is 32 years to the day since Halley's Comet last cranked out a cheeky little perihelion. That, of course, is a comet's closest point to the sun. Halley laid down the big P on this day in 1986 during its jaunt to the proximity of Earth. You don't need to be a rocket astronomer to know that. But it was a disappointing performance 
by the peanut-shaped celestial whizzer, panned by critics as the comet's shittest fly-past in the last 2,000-odd years. Today's Comet magazine described Halley's 1986 effort as, quote, a barely visible anti-climax, this once great comet that has in its time presaged all manner of major global events, was patently resting on its laurels in one of the most egregious displays of smug comet placency we've ever seen. <laughs> Andy, I'm just pleased to hear there is a Comet magazine that it has subscribed. Oh, there is. Well, of course there is. There's a magazine for everything, as, uh, as regular listeners to this show <laughs> only to aware. Uh, Halley's Comet uh, famously uh, done some quality uh, omen uh, throwing in 1066. Uh, it appeared in the skies before the Battle of Hastings. Uh, which, of course, brought about the uh, the beginning of uh, European domination of British politics, which continues unbroken to this day. Um, but 1986 wasn't entirely without uh, without effect on the world. Just eight days after its uh, perihelion, on the 17th of February, we had the signing of the Single European Act, the first major revision of the 1957 Treaty of Rome, which established the EEC, setting in motion the single European market, and or <laughs> the complete and utter subterfugious appropriation of British democracy, freedom, <laughs> liberty and Britishness. Our listener can't see this, but Andy almost got out of his chair with a fist over his head yeah, at that, sort of must, just so that you know it's method. Yeah. <laughs> must, must, must stop reading certain newspapers. And also, six months later, Diego Maradona cheated England out of the World Cup <laughs> in the quarterfinal. <laughs> so maybe let's listen once again to the uh, classic commentary from the Bugle archives on that historic sporting moment. Maradona gets the ball now, the cheating little shit. What are you going to do? Punch it in from the halfway line, you prick. He turns now. Kick the Past Beardsley, whack him, you loser! Past Hodge, what part of kick that bastard of the balls you're struggling to understand, Hodge? Past Reed, nail him! Fucking nail him! He's up to Fennec now. Come on, Terry, put him in a body bag! Fucking fucking shit! He's past fucking butcher as well. Fucking twat him, Terry! Just shunt him to beat now. Take his fucking head off, Peter! I don't give a fuck if he scores. He ruined him. Oh, no, it's 2-0. Oh, that was a tremendous goal by the little magician. Laurie McMenemy, have you ever seen anything like that? The next time Halley is uh, scheduled to come here, uh, 2061, although we are used to people turning up late these days, um, according to my computer simulations, it will be 3D and wireless. Uh, by that point, that's high-tech stuff from the comet, and will be viewed as an ominous omen in 2061, harbinging, amongst other things, the return of Elon Musk to Earth after the completion of his journey to Alpha Centauri via his new hypersplat interstellar catapult. <laughs> uh, it will also foretell the death of US President Honeydew Mellon, the first piece of fruit to be elected to high office in the USA <laughs> after voters finally tired of human politicians, <laughs> then robot politicians, and then dogs howling at each other, which uh, was a big step up for the 2044 election. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, President Mellon will fully biodegrade seven months into its second term in office, despite the advanced <laughs> refrigeration techniques of the day. And also, following Halley's uh, visit to Earth in 2061, we will see the retirement of Queen Elizabeth II at the age of 135. And finally, the tendonitis in her waving wrist forcing her to step down. <laughs> Top story this week. Elon Musk has blasted his car into space. Um, I mean, no big deal. Well, actually, quite a big 
fucking deal. He's just blasted a fucking car into space. Yep, space, the final frontier for rich wankers to show off their fancy red cars. <laughs> Elon Musk, philanthropist, entrepreneur and man to whom nobody has said no for way too long, <laughs> has sent a space suit in a fully functioning Tesla car to orbit around Mars in an eternal floating monument, both to how smart and how stupid humanity is. <laughs> It's amazing how often those two go very, very close together. <laughs> so isn't it? close together. I mean, I guess, you know, the question is why did he blast a car into space? And the answer is clearly why the f not? I mean, what was he going to do? Blast a bicycle into space? Don't be an idiot. Or a jet ski? I mean, he might be an American citizen now, but he's not that American. Clearly, it had to be a car. It's the first consumer car to be blasted into space. And we do have to use the word blast at all points in this. Yes. That is the only way you can put a car in space by blasting it there. I believe that this is the initial step in a kind of a, a supervillain uh, storyline because yeah. often at the beginning of a supervillain storyline you know that they're a villain because they fire someone into space or drop them into a pit of crocodiles. This, you know, eternally orbiting car in space with cameras on it is the thing that he'll point to when his kids <laughs> won't eat their vegetables. <laughs> um, the first consumer car blast in space, although of course Neil Armstrong did insist on taking his collection of toy cars with him on the Apollo 11 <laughs> the moon blast, uh, and apparently said to NASA, it's going to be boring spending three days travelling to the moon, and uh, you've pretty much exhausted I Spy With My Little Eye within an hour or two of blasting off, and Buzz is really shit at Scrabble, so I'll play with my cars. If the cars don't go, Neil Armstrong doesn't go. Cars in space. Uh, Musk said that he wanted to launch the silliest thing we can imagine <laughs> into space with his uh, on the back of his. They should have uh, got you on the team. Or <laughs> <laughs> the Falcon, the Falcon Heavy rocket, which is a disappointing name for a rocket to me. Falcon Heavy sounds more like a craft ale than, <laughs> than a massive great rocket. Is this the beginning of us sending up various household objects? Um, because <laughs> if we're in the process of sending up things that you get in a suburban middle-class house in San Francisco, um, you're going to send the car up and very soon a refrigerator, uh, maybe some sort of an espresso <laughs> machine. And my question, therefore, is when we do find intelligent life in space, should their encounter with humanity be this? Just seeing a <laughs> bunch of nonsense stuff from homes flying around <laughs> next to Neptune. Like, is, is this, do you guys feel okay that this is the first thing extraterrestrials will see and judge us for? Well, I have a bit of a problem with this. In the, I, I think it's a very disappointing... I don't ha object to a car being sent up into space. What I do object to is the choice of car. <laughs> I mean, obviously Musk is going to go for the Tesla. You know, high-tech, futuristic, super-tech tech technology. is. But that's just what the aliens will be expecting. If... However, he'd sent up a 1975 Robin Reliant or my mum's old Nissan Micra. Then how are the aliens going to interpret that? That blend of advanced technology and shit cars. Correct. They're going to think to themselves, how the f*** did that pile of shit get here? Yeah, I want a Daihatsu charade. <laughs> you know the kind with those pleather seats that burn little holes into the back of your legs oh, in right. summer? Yeah. You Happy know, days. Andy. Happy days. Uh, not in an English summer. Um, uh, the uh, well, anyway, let's go back to this phrase: the silliest thing we can we can imagine. Raise the bar, Elon. We know we know you have a hyperactive imagination. Raise the bar. I mean, the commies—they put a doggy with flying goggles on in space. That is already sillier than a car for and me. And that was the most sensible thing they could think of to send into space. Yeah. 
I and mean, it's a dog with goggles on. Yeah. I mean, that's that to me is inherently sillier uh, than a car. What I would have, I would have, you know, if he's going to put a car in there, it would have been better if it had, been, had one of the one or more of the following uh, <laughs> car accoutrements attached to it. A, some tins tied to the back <laughs> and, a, and a just-divorced banner in the windscreen. <laughs> what a breakup! Um, a parking ticket tucked under the windscreen wiper. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, I mean, that, that has to, that, that has to go. Uh, a family food shop in the back, just for the sake of mystery. Uh, a folder marked Plot to Conquer the Universe. Actually, I assume that was probably in the glove compartment. Um, a, uh, Donald Trump, I think we'd have all got behind that. Elvis, even better. Uh, what most I would have liked to have seen is a carrier bag full of prison clothes, <laughs> an envelope with $40,000 in cash, a wig, a passport, a driving licence, a revolver, and some sunglasses. <laughs> so whoever finds this car in the future will think, now that is a breakout. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what what is the future for the for the space car? I see, I, you know, it, it's going to rotate mindlessly through the vacuum of space around Mars for <laughs> eternity until we all crash into the sun. But hopefully at some point Elon Musk will send up some roof racks and skis, which <laughs> I always think make a car feel jaunty. <laughs> I mean, at some point it's going to have a prang with an asteroid. <laughs> And then the dummy figure in the space suit, in the in the in the Tesla suit, whatever it is, in the front seat. Hopefully, that is programmed uh, at when it bangs into an asteroid to honk its horn and shout, yeah. "Look where you're fucking going! You jumped up, fucking pebble!" In less high-tech flying objects news now, a gang of smugglers who have been likened to the characters of TV comedy Porridge flew drugs into prisons on drones and hid illicit goods inside parcels of bogus legal papers, a court has heard. Gary Granels, which definitely sounds like a made-up name, (laughs) Stephen Stocker and his nephew Stephen McGonagall Stocker... (laughs) Made up the gang, and the standard UK, the standard UK newspaper uses quote marks to say they were literally the inside men during the three-year operation, which implies a way in which they can be metaphorically the inside men, <laughs> given that the phrase "the inside men" comes from the exact literal circumstances in which this prison smuggling gang operation has taken place. It sort of makes saying literally redundant. Sorry. Side channel there. Granels is accused of working with his mother, dinner lady Amanda Granels, to sneak drugs and mobile phones past prison guards, revealing that the gang used drones to fly drugs to sell windows, passed on goods during prison visits, or hid them in fake legal papers. If only legal papers were that exciting when I was a lawyer, Andy. (laughs) The only drugs I was ever offered were Adderall to get me through a late night. Um, and sh- I mean, surely just the natural high of being part of a functioning legal system was enough for any young lawyer. Sure, Andy. Just the, the, sure. the glorious natural cocaine of justice. No, I didn't even take the Adderall, Andy. I refused right, okay. the Adderall because I am too uncool even for work-enhancing drugs. <laughs> That's me. I mean, this is it's a big problem for prisons now, the uh, the advent of the, of the drone. Interestingly, uh, here's a fact... Did you know that 67% of all wasps are now um, Amazon-owned picnic drones <laughs> spying on what you're eating at your picnics? So you get those emails saying, we noticed that that you've had some warm cream and scones. Perhaps you'd also like a pot of strawberry jam. Oh. It's the future of commerce. That is the future of commerce. I mean, the invention or the introduction of drones into prison smuggling has just certainly saved a lot of very uncomfortable doctor's visits. <laughs> um, I mean, it's gonna. It would. I mean, in terms of you know, kind of Shawshanking your way out of jail, 
if you can just get a giant drone to fly in and I mean it takes all the romance out of it doesn't it like it does spooning a tunnel for over several years there's one question in the story as usual you know just uh, being from so far away I don't understand many British things but here it said <laughs> that you were hid in a parcel of bogus legal papers and I think that that could be an interesting profession if people could make bogus legal papers you know it would have like nice sort of <laughs> graphics on it or whatever they call it all the crest and your emblem of royalty so it would look like a legal paper but also it takes a special kind of prison official to not know that that's a bogus legal paper <laughs> yes i guess when a huge bundle of legal papers comes through that rattles slightly you think um, suspicions will be arise yes or when Correct. when the legal papers are being flown in by a drone that yes. says criminal on it <laughs> <laughs> And the paper itself says bogus legal paper on the front page. (laughs) Well, Andy, uh, I've got a couple of things in India news that I wanted to share with you. And again, raise some conundrums. And uh, I'm hoping you and Alice can help me. So uh, the New York York Times reported, Andy, that uh, recently in India, there were some... uh, There was a religious clash. There was some religious violence. And... A particular gentleman was supposed to have been martyred in, in this religious violence. And he became a right. hero on social media, Andy. Uh, and he, uh, he became a martyr for this religious violence. And then everyone online said, oh, you know, people from different religions got together and killed him. His name was Rahul Upadhyay. And then people were saying, you know, Hindus and Muslims shouldn't kill each other. This was in a city of Kasganj in India on Republic Day. Yep. And, uh, you know, that this guy, you know, is just a symbol of, of unifying India. All of that was fantastic, except that this guy was not dead. He was just <laughs> a guy in his house taking a nap. When he woke right. up a few hours later, he was Mata Rahul. And there were two right. million things about him on WhatsApp and some 11 million things about him on Facebook. And he went viral all around the world. And there were 36 candlelight vigils for Mr. Upadhyay. Uh, it lit up the streets in seven districts. Um, wow. It's like Jesus all over again. Yeah, but I don't know. A man dying in a religious cause and then a few days later turning up alive. That is so far away from my understanding of religion. I do not know where to begin, Andy. And, you know, it's a great, great, great point, Alice. And, you know, the point is that when he was asked how he feels about this whole thing, he'd just woken up, he'd poured himself some tea, he opened his door and he said, no media house or politician bothered to visit my place or call me first to confirm that I was indeed dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Adding, adding, the marketplace of rumours has heated up beyond control, after which he said he was going back for another nap and he wasn't (laughs) sure what he was going to wake up to Next time round. <laughs> that is pretty good. Well, it, yeah, it's good. Yeah, the the nap is absolutely, absolutely critical in the birth story of any religion. Je- Jesus had his his little two day nap, didn't he? Friday to Sunday. Yep. I mean, that is a big weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's proper, and um, this is why I love. I, this is why I love India, Andy, because everywhere else in the world they say. You have to be awake and work hard to make the news and be someone. In India, you just have to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Another story from India that grabbed my attention this week, uh, Anivab, was this uh, story yes. of a public park that's started uh, trying to require people to show a marriage certificate 
before they went into the park. Now, I'm all in favour of this because I've lost count of the number of times I've been walking through a park and I've thought to myself, I'm married because I'm fucking awesome. Why the f*** should I have to share this place with these unlovable commitment phobes who can't hack the holy bonds of matrimony under the eye of a vengeful god? So I'm all in favour of it. But what what is the full story behind this in uh, this park in India? Well, Andy, you know... Uh... The, the boring story is that there were lots of single people going out there in, in, in the middle of this park and making out. But, but the, real, the real thing right. is, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, and they didn't want them, so they wanted them to have marriage certificates. And, you know, in true Indian fashion, uh, all the people that went to the park immediately produced forged marriage certificates. <laughs> so four, four minutes before they were single, four minutes later, they're back in the park, they've got some candy floss, and they're married. <laughs> Um, so, so that's that. That worked out well. But, but, but the larger question here, Andy, Alice, is yep. why would you? And this is I want I want your perspective because you live in the advanced world, the both of you. I want to know why shouldn't you have to carry a marriage certificate in, to enter uh, an Indian park or indeed any park? I carry around a marriage certificate wherever I go, but the names aren't filled in yet. It's just if I see someone who I really uh, <laughs> take a fancy yes. to. With that empty certificate, Alice, you would be welcome in this Indian park. They would welcome you. They would help you fill out the form. And then you could enjoy all the benefits of this park, which include pickpocketing and various other things. (laughs) In Australia news now, the Daily Telegraph in Australia has published a picture of a political staffer pregnant with Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce's out-of-wedlock child, sparking a controversy about what the Australian media should leave private and what it should splash loudly across the front pages in the interests of selling ad ad space, sorry, in the public interest. (laughs) The question of whether a married man who campaigned loudly for the sanctity of traditional marriage while knocking up a colleague should be exposed as the venal hypocrite he most definitely is, is definitely a question and not obviously, yes, put him in the internet stocks and let people throw rotten tomatoes at him. But the question of whether the lady involved should be outed is a more delicate one. There's an argument that she doesn't deserve public vitriol to be sprayed at her because getting pregnant to Barnaby Joyce should be punishment enough for any woman. And it's arguably cruel and unusual punishment to make her publicly acknowledge that she has terrible taste in men. The debate is at its hottest in Canberra about whether the article was in the public interest with politicians, the Greens, expressing outrage at the publication, and the Labour opposition, who are also politicians, maintaining that the Deputy Prime Minister, a politician, should keep his personal life private. This is definitely because they believe in the separation of policy and personal behaviour, and not at all because they have skeletons in their own closets. (laughs) They didn't become public figures to have their privacy invaded, Andy. You should definitely be allowed to insist, for example, that everyone should pay their taxes while also running a Ponzi scheme, or that marriage should be heterosexual and monogamous while maintaining an oiled harem behind the velvet curtains of the Senate. I have always said it, Andy, marriage should be between one man, one woman, and his secretary, colleague, or secret girlfriend. <laughs> still still wait. As soon as the scientists make that breakthrough, <laughs> turn hypocrisy into electricity, politics will save the world. We will go to the moon. <laughs> Sport now, and, well, it's been a sensational weekend of sport last weekend. Of course, the most dramatic sporting event of the weekend was uh, to a global audience of around about 300 people. The Streatham Redhawks going 3-1 up on the London Raiders in the first four minutes, ten seconds at the Streatham Ice Rink last Sunday evening. Unbelievable scenes! Um, it was uh, followed shortly afterwards by, by the Super Bowl... 
which was uh, an incredibly exciting event. Alice, are you into American football, or do you have other ways of uh, enjoying watching young men suffer life-changing cranial traumas? I mean, my comedy shows. But look, <laughs> look, my mate watched the Super Bowl, and I can tell that it was a great match. Is it called a match? Yeah. By the amount of shouting and waking me up that he did. <laughs> uh, I am someone for whom the Super Bowl is something with quinoa in it at a pretentiously wholesome but less posh than it pretends to be cafe. Nonetheless, I am willing to concede that it was a very good game because multiple friends who enjoy it have told me in great enthusiastic detail that it was as exciting and full of drama as a sports movie about the Super Bowl, which, to be honest, I still probably wouldn't watch. Um, uh, Philadelphia Eagles won their first uh, Super Bowl, and it made Philadelphia, uh, which is traditionally a fairly stroppy place, uh, the least angry it has been as a city <laughs> since 1776. Um, on the official city's official stropometer, it called in at just 53.4 cranks on the Rumpelstilt scale. So that's... Uh, that's uh, <laughs> Uh, the, a, a joyous time for for Philadelphia. Um, Anivab, you you were uh, taken. You, you've been in America um, for the last week or so, so you, you were there to watch watch the Super Bowl happen in the because it's got a huge global event now, but only a barely barely notable one hundred million people watched it in the USA, <laughs> which was down uh, by a few percent, I think, on last year. Andy, Alice, I I have some news to share with you people, um, and it. Uh, it's probably going to sound like seventy percent of it is a lie, uh, because it's right. just one of those one of those things that sound like a lie. But I happened to be in Minneapolis uh, with a friend who had an extra ticket to the Super Bowl game last Sunday, and I happened to be at the Super Bowl um, watching it. And and you, you were per- you were at the Super Bowl. I was Andy. But so you saw Justin Timberlake live. <laughs> wow, that is unbelievable. I did, Andy. I did. Uh, all one inch of him from where I was sitting. <laughs> he looks spectacular. Uh, but there are a few things I have to report, and I want your views on it, because they, they okay. left me confused. Yep. Andy, the stadium in Minneapolis is called the Viking Stadium, and it is built to look like a Viking ship. Right. Great, uh, because clearly, you know, Minnesotans feel a close affinity to Vikings because they, they're mispillaging. I don't know what it is. But they decided to build a stadium to look like a Viking ship. Great. Right. For a person from India, confusing enough. The second thing the Americans have done with their sport, which I love, is that they have covered the entire stadium with a glass dome. So they don't let anything silly like nature interfere (laughs) with with the Super Bowl final. So silly games like, you know, Andy, like cricket or whatever that, that thing is called, uh, you are familiar with things like rain stopping play. The Americans don't yes. believe in all that. So it was minus right. 17 degrees Fahrenheit outside in Minneapolis. Inside the stadium, it was a toasty 70 degrees. Um, and you could, <laughs> you could turn up the heat on your chair while you sat in a Honda, which I thought was fantastic. Um, the second thing really? I loved is that they kept saying that the New England Patriots... And the Philadelphia Eagles are the two greatest teams in the world. Uh, and, and this is the world final. Um, and it's always lovely to see two countries in a world tournament be so close to each other that you could get from one to the other by bus. <laughs> <laughs> in a matter of two and a half hours. The third thing I, I completely loved about the Super Bowl that day is, I, I didn't know you could do this, but... Um, 
you know, the Americans, you know, when they do everything, you know, they, they make it a Hollywood movie. So before the Super Bowl started, they had retired veterans from World War II take part in the toss. So the two team captains came up for the toss. And then there were, there were the war veterans who participated in the toss. And the toss happened and somebody won. F-16s flew over the stadium they, in, in some sort of a formation. And they did a little F-16 dance. So the next time when India is playing <laughs> England at Lord's Andy, if your typhoon fighters are not overhead, <laughs> when Joe Root is doing the toss, Andy, I don't want to watch cricket anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, how, how can you tell if something is an important sporting event? Unless the presence of the military, yeah, military aircraft pass overhead <laughs> at dangerously low altitude. <laughs> the Super Bowl halftime show, one of the most watched cultural events of any year. Uh, Justin Timberlake this year. I mean, look, Justin Timberlake is to be applauded. He crawled his way, clawed his way out of the doldrums of of boy banddom to become a, a well respected artist in his own right. Right. And uh, he was brought back after having his sort of disgraceful last Super Bowl uh, excursion, in which he accidentally slash on purpose revealed Janet Jackson's boob. I was looking forward to him just revealing his own boobs on stage. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, that was that was shocking because that had been a very closely guarded showbiz secret that Janet Jackson had had a boob. Yes. For many many decades. <laughs> That they managed to, you know, keep that, and for her to be, I mean, it was probably the most shocking moment in American history. Uh, it seemed to cause more more angst and complaints than, for example, the overthrow of the Allende regime <laughs> in Chile by a CIA-endorsed coup. I mean, it's right up there with the Kennedy assassination for the Americans. You know, it's 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 a big one, but. Um... <laughs> I, I that just, was a very choreographed accident. <laughs> there was definitely just, choreography. Who was involved. the choreographer? Who was the choreographer? Can Release I, the fire! It was the most choreographed accident I've ever seen, and I've seen ballerinas shitting to Tchaikovsky. <laughs> yeah, shitting to Tchaikovsky. What? That, what kind of bullshit ballet is that? <laughs> when you've got to go. <laughs> I need to watch more ballet, ladies and gentlemen. Do it in time to the music. Just uh, time for a quick look ahead to the Winter Olympics now, which, as we record, they've just held the opening ceremony, um, and it, uh, it has not, uh, Chris, you can confirm this, has not been, uh, part of the Olympic ceremony was not the North Korea invading at that very moment. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> no, they haven't. Oh, uh, that's not, good. Not yet. Uh, we will cover the Winter Olympics uh, exclusively over the next uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, what I'm most looking forward to, some fantastic... Events coming up: snowball fighting uh, for the first time. Controversially, snow drones are being allowed. The purists don't <laughs> like it, but it gives teams a different angle, and you've still got to compact your snowball and load it onto the drone. So you get what you gain in accuracy and payload. You may lose in speed of delivery. Uh, look out for the North Korean team. They had some very oddly shaped snowballs in yesterday's final free practice. One of which landed halfway across the Pacific. Um, <laughs> Uh, ski jump jousting that could be the ratings winner of this Winter Olympics surely there can be no more dramatic sight in sport than two pugilist athletes clashing jousting pole to jousting pole 30 metres above ground having just flown off a 90 metre ski jump ramp at opposite ends of a stadium <laughs> that that is real sport uh, also a real chance for some of the less fancied uh, contestants in both the men's and women's events after a very exciting World Cup season um, sadly, none of the top 150 ranked jousters are out of hospital yet. Um, <laughs> some uh, new additional disciplines, the bobsled biathlon. 
Bobsled biathlon could be a real, uh, real sensation this time. Testing the skills of the driver and the rear gunner who has to fire at five different <laughs> targets whilst plummeting downhill at 85 miles an hour. Uh, that one's sadly being held behind closed doors after the test events. Um, uh, well, let, we can't say too much about it. It's still an active legal matter. Uh, the skeleton event has proved hugely popular because, well, who the f*** doesn't want to watch someone flammock themselves face down a concrete pipe <laughs> at idiotic velocity? Uh, and they've souped it up this time. They have the skeleton Pac-Man events inspired by the 1980s computer <laughs> game. It's going to be a huge hit. Can the likes of Sochi gold medal winner Lizzie Yarnold adapt to the new requirement to catch tennis balls in her mouth on the way down? Uh, loop the luge, enough said. Um, and uh, I'm particularly looking forward to, the, well, two events, really. The uh, Polar Bear Rodeo, um, which could be really sensational this time. Polar bears, of course, in a real mood at the moment due to the devastation of their natural habitat by climate change. So uh, anyone who can stay on the bear for more than 15 seconds will be doing very well. Norwegian hopes in the mixed doubles event rest uh, with Stigvald Bjarp Gluggesson and <laughs> Ethel Frieda Bjork returning after a four-year ban for polarisation after they painted a sloth head-to-toe in an off-white emulsion. And uh, the Captain Oatsathlon, arguably the toughest <laughs> of the many disciplines in this toughest of all Olympics winter. That's the event inspired by the death of Lawrence Oates on Captain Scott's silver medal winning squaz to the South Pole in the 1911-12 World Polar Exploration League season. <laughs> the competitors have to leave the start tent and the winner is the one who takes the longest some time to return <laughs> to the tent. Still waiting for the result from uh, Sochi. And sadly the uh, Vancouver Games gold medalist from 2010 uh, Dreiskjork Humelison of Denmark, uh, unable to defend the title, he was uh, confirmed as winning only last year. Um, not the best event for TV, but uh, tough, <laughs> tough competitors. And um, uh, are you, uh, any news on how the Olympic ceremony? Because the last time South Korea held an Olympic opening ceremony, it turned into a barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> flame grilled doves. Okay. <laughs> and I can reveal the, uh, the the breaking news from the uh, opening ceremony is that the Tongan flag bearer. Yep in uh, conditions of up to minus 20 degrees, has gone out shirtless and greased up, <laughs> waving his flag. Why change a winning formula? <laughs> uh, I, I love the Winter Olympics. There are two sports that I'm looking forward to, the real sports in the in the Olympics. I'm looking forward to figure skating for two reasons. First, because it is extremely silly people in beige stockings and sparkly leotards trying to tell a graceful, romantic, physical story with what are undeniably knives strapped to their boots. Um, <laughs> The second reason is that my merciless Jewish-Hungarian grandmother had a real old-world sort of Austro-Hungarian empire idea of what children's education should involve, and so she would regularly hijack me and my twin brother from our hippie parents for things like, but not limited to, figure skating lessons. <laughs> she wanted to turn us into a horrifying sibling ice-dancing duo, so when I watched the figure skating, it's with this real joyous, relieved sense of there but for the grace of God go high. <laughs> And I'm also looking forward to Skeleton, which is the one, as you mentioned before, where they go face down and head first because somebody very high at the top of a mountain once gave someone else a thousand dr drugs and a boogie board. <laughs> uh, did you know Bugle listener and top-notch comedian Alex Edelman has a twin brother, AJ, who is uh, representing Israel in the Skeleton, oh, yeah. uh, which is a brutal dilemma for a Jewish parent because on one hand you definitely want them to be successful and famous and the best in the world at something. Yeah. On the other hand, you would prefer it not to be, like, hilariously dangerous. <laughs> So if Moses had had that way down the mountain, who knows what would have happened. Skeleton is one of those sports that I'm definitely supporting, but you couldn't pay me to actually watch it. You know? Like, unless you've got a prolapse that needs cringing to retract, you just... Right. Are you a, are you a qualified doctor? <laughs> My brother is a, is a doctor of law. Right. 
just 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 yeah. past his viva, so oh. I think I probably count. Yeah, that that does. Let me do surgery now, Andy. <laughs> uh, Anuvab, um, is uh, the Winter Olympics big news in uh, in in India, a nation with uh, not not the most glorious of Olympic uh, Olympic records? We've got one guy, Andy. We're sending one guy. Uh, right. <laughs> not even a joke. His name is Shiva Keshavan. <laughs> he's taking part in luge. Uh, he's built his own. Uh, frozen little luge practice area in India. Uh, he's been all over the news <laughs> because uh, we were all worried as to how he found all that snow and he managed to keep it frozen through the Indian summer. But uh, but most of all, nobody in India knows what luge is. So they thought he was a crazy guy sliding down an ice rack wearing a helmet and he was probably mentally unstable. I mean, it is about time for there to be a gritty reboot of Cool Runnings. Well, exactly. yeah, there is. So we've got Shiva Keshavan, you know, he's... Uh, the Various world headlines say that he's uh, India's lone resilient luge champion. Uh, I don't know what that means because he's competed with exactly zero people in India. Uh, <laughs> but we've sent him, you know, we've sent him. Uh, he's cold and ready. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I hear that in the Olympics people send teams, but look, I think one's a start. I always feel one is a start. <laughs> look out for him, Shiva Keshavan. He's, he's going to lose it up over there in Pyeongchang. Uh, well, we have, uh, as we tend to do, overrun. It, the Bilderberg competition has been postponed again, <laughs> so you can still submit <laughs> entries for your place in the Bilderberg group. They, they are starting to get a bit cross on me, the, the Bilderberg We've got four million entries. They've had an they've had an empty empty seat for the last couple of weeks. They really need to know who's going to be uh, secretly running the world with them. Uh, So keep them coming in to hello buglers at thebuglepodcast dot com. There are only a few tickets left for the live bugle on the twenty second of February with Alice and Nish. There will be live bugles at the Melbourne Comedy Festival on the fifteenth and twenty second of April, and I will announce uh, further dates for later in the year in due course. Uh, do come along to all of my satirists for hire uh, shows on the rest of the tour. Alice, anything to plug? Yes, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Perth comedy festivals coming up and uh, apparently there's a hashtag going around for funny women online. Uh, I think it's hashtag funny women if right. you think I'm funny right. enough for a hashtag. I don't know. No, come to my shows. That's more important than, than Twitter hashtags. Yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, come to my shows in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney or Perth in the next couple of months all if of you're them. around. Yeah. Um, Anivab? Anything you'd like to uh, alert our listeners to? Well, very quickly, um, the my stand-up special and uh, the comedy series I wrote and directed, Going Viral, Private Limited, are both finally available on Amazon UK. So I suppose if you've got Prime, Amazon Prime Video, you can just press something and something will happen. And uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you no longer need to subscribe to an Indian channel called Hira to get to those things on Amazon so you will be saved from having to watch 4,000 people dancing uh, in front of Golden Gate Bridge in a murder mystery so um, that's what I have thank you for listening Buglers until next time, goodbye bye bye Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, 
and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.